Hello, I'm Patricia, the host of this The Haiku Bee podcast, a podcast obsessed with haiku and senryu. Welcome to Series 5, Episode 3. So what do I have for you today? Well, we'll start with the final instalment of my favourite of our submissions for 2021 from the Autumn Journal. And then I want to introduce another of the supplementary series that I'd like to start this year. And we'll finish with Linda's Picks. The poems that Linda Ludwig has chosen from the PTV prompts on our YouTube channel. There's a new one on there this month. Do go and leave your poems in the comments section. It's the only way to be considered for Linda's Picks. Of course, I have some reminders for you. It's February 2022 as this podcast goes out. And this month we're writing haiku and senryu, including colours. If you don't know what the editing team are looking for, please go to the website, read the show notes for Series 5, Episode 1, or listen to the podcast, or find the corresponding PTV workshop, also on the website. They're going to help you to be successful in your submission. There's a new submission email for submissions, and this is hugely important. The period for submissions this year is the 1st to the 15th of every month, and you all know how I'm a stickler for deadlines, so don't be late. There's also a call for split sequences this month. You can submit those until the 28th of February, either solo sequences or sequences you've written with friends. Again, there's some help for you to understand what we're looking for. An essay by Peter Justermski in the Autumn Journal, and he and Brian Rickett did a fabulous reading from their book Just Dust and Stone. If you haven't heard it, you can listen in Series 4, Episode 23, and there's a visual reading on YouTube. All, of course, are available on the Poetry P website. Do have a go at these split sequences. They're great fun. And I think when you write them with friends, they really help you to improve your work. Well, as long as you have an open and honest relationship with one another. Don't fall out with your friends, but do have a go. And of course, there's a particular email for this submission too. Check out the submission pages on the website just to make sure you're sending them to the right place. Well, with no further ado, let's have some fantastic haiku and senryu, shall we? This time, from the Poetry P Journal of Haiku and Senryu, Autumn 2021. How could you even fathom its age? Pond rippled by unheard minnows. How could you even fathom its age? Pond rippled by unheard minnows. Craig Kittner Six crows at the bus stop, southbound. Six crows at the bus stop, southbound. Linda L. Ludwig Winter whitecaps on the Pacific Ocean, her disappearing nouns. Winter whitecaps on the Pacific Ocean, her disappearing nouns. Mimi Ahern. Père Lachaise, we argue all the way to Abelard's grave. 
Père Lachaise, we argue all the way to Abelard's grave. Kristen Lindquist Sydney Harbour, the sails at the Opera House fill with wind song. Sydney Harbour, the sails at the Opera House fill with wind song. Angela Terry The suddenness of a hawk over my shoulder, clouds that whisper rain. The suddenness of a hawk over my shoulder, clouds that whisper rain. Craig Kittner The brown eyes of a Sherpa child, Himalayan moon. The brown eyes of a Sherpa child, Himalayan moon. Bruce H. Feingold Golconda Fort, our claps echoing in the past. Golconda Fort, our claps echoing in the past. Minal Sarosh The mist up and down, round and round the road to Big Sur. The mist up and down, round and round the road to Big Sur. Mimi Ahern Over Gettysburg, storm clouds charging the sky, blue and grey. Over Gettysburg, storm clouds charging the sky, blue and grey. Joshua Sinclair Seattle, your syllables, drops of rain. Seattle, your syllables, drops of rain. Jeff M. Pope Catskill Mountain Dew, my whole life contained within these peaks and valleys. Catskill Mountain Dew, my whole life contained within these peaks and valleys. Sari Grandstaff South Carolina Sunday Shock cords hold the beer cooler shut South Carolina Sunday Shock cords hold the beer cooler shut David Oates Afghanistan All the butterflies clinging to the last flower Afghanistan, all the butterflies clinging to the last flower. James Young Holocaust Museum, his hometown a dot on an SS camp map. Holocaust Museum, his hometown a dot on an SS camp map. Elaine Wilbert Chamomile tea, the full moon slowly fills Paris sky. Chamomile tea, the full moon slowly fills Paris sky. Laughing waters. Spring, grandma knits another purple sky. Spring, grandma knits another purple sky. Lakshmi Iyer. 
The Melody of a Blackbird Singing, Nimbostratus The Melody of a Blackbird Singing, Nimbostratus Griggs Pouring down through the rainforest, Camoribi Pouring down through the rainforest, Camoribi Pam Joy Long after the sound of jet skis, the sound of waves. Long after the sound of jet skis, the sound of waves. Christine New Orleans, the jazz of raindrops on a flooded street. New Orleans, the jazz of raindrops on a flooded street. Bill Fay Trees shed their leaves, he said, she said. Trees shed their leaves, he said, she said. Ronald K. Craig Silver Anniversary, the length of his scrotum. Silver Anniversary, the length of his scrotum. Aaron Barry Only the cry from the stretched shadow down the empty street, Harvest Moon. Only the cry from the stretched shadow down the empty street, Harvest Moon. Martin Gottlieb Cohen Icicle, dripping, refrozen, elongated, icicle, dripping, Puddle. Icicle, dripping, refrozen, elongated. Icicle, dripping, puddle. Mark Farrar. Counting colours back into the rainbow. Another boy quotes from Star Wars. Counting colours back into the rainbow. Another boy quotes from Star Wars. Alan Summers Lazy August Day My Grandson's Long Conversation with Big Bird and Buddha Lazy August Day My Grandson's Long Conversation with Big Bird and Buddha Bruce H. Feingold Discarded Toys in the scatter of unwrapped presents, they ride the box into space. Discarded toys. In the scatter of unwrapped presents, they ride the box into space. Robert Horobin. Just when I thought the day was grey, a blue jay swoops over the lilac. Just when I thought the day was grey, a blue jay swoops over the lilac. Doris Lynch I hope you enjoyed hearing them again. And this year, be sure to share with me if any of the poems from the journal or podcasts really stand out for you. I'll be sure to put them on my list for consideration for the nomination period at the end of the year. 
Now, last time I told you about the new series I wanted to make, Black Voices in Haiku. Thanks to everyone who took the time and trouble to email me ideas. I'm still working on putting that together, so keep the ideas rolling in. The other series I'd like to make brings more of our voices to the fore. It's a series where we share our favourite five haiku. Of those haiku, at least one should be your own work, and then a selection of contemporary haiku and Japanese masters. At least one of each. I asked Richard Tice to come along to introduce the series. So here are Richard's favourite five. Richard, thank you very much for coming along to share your five favourite haiku with me. I'm really delighted that you were happy to share them with the P community. Now, your choices were very interesting. All the poems you chose, apart from your own, were Japanese, which you've translated into English for us. Now, I have a clue, but I'd just like to ask why the fascination with Japanese haiku? I came to uh, haiku through Japanese, and then I started writing it shortly after I was introduced to it. It's just that I can remember the Japanese haiku uh, far more easily than I can remember English ones because uh, I've I've had to figure out what they mean and then it just stays with me. So, of course, I have many uh, English haiku that are favorites, but uh, I can only recite one or two from memory, whereas I can recite dozens of Japanese haiku from memory. I guess if you work hard enough on a... Reading a haiku, you'll remember it better. Maybe, maybe I should put more effort into tr- translating German haiku. That would oh. that would help me with my <laughs> my language. Richard, shall we hear them? Let's go with your first one. First one from Yosa uh, Buso. Nanohana ya, skiwa higashinihi wa nishini. The rapeseed flowers, moon in the east. Sun in the West, the rapeseed flowers, moon in the East, sun in the West. I wondered two things. The first was about the colors. There was a repetition of color subtly within this this poem. So the rape, the yellow basically coming through the rapeseed flowers, the moon is a yellowish color, the sun obviously yellow. And I wondered if it was the colors that attracted you to this poem? Uh, yes, but uh, more so was the, uh, the play with time. Now that really struck me. I mean, this has been uh, kind of a model poem for me uh, in my use of images that have some quality of time in it. And also it's been a good model for me in writing uh, poems without verbs. It's really a fascinating exercise, which of course we've tried on the podcast uh, to write without without verbs. Now, the next thing I wanted to throw at you, because you've got much more knowledge about this than me. Busson, as you say, was a painter, but he was culturally very educated. And at the time, that would mean that he was educated in Chinese as well as Japanese arts. I wondered about the symbolism with the moon in the east and the sun in the west. 
would there be something in saying that he could see what was going on in China at the time, where possibly Western countries were getting involved in the country, and that was having a, a knock-on effect on politics and culture, etc. And would he see that as a bad thing and be representing this with the moon in the east and the sun in the west? So the sun, China, if my geography is right, would be to the west of where Busan was, and the sun is setting. And so he's suggesting the sun is setting on the, the Chinese, whereas the moon is in the east and it would be rising and it'd be rising over Japan. And that would be suggesting maybe that Japan was a stronger power or he saw Japan as a stronger power culturally in, in every way. Well, that's an interesting interpretation. I don't think thinking over other Japanese literature, the sun representing China is rare, if not non-existent. It was the geography yeah. rather than the, the sun itself, you know, the image, the imagery of the sun setting. Obviously, the sun sets in the West and China being to the West. But it, I mean, it was a, a massive leap. I was looking at the history of what was going on at, at the time that uh, Busan was writing. And I just just wanted to throw that out there and see, see what you thought. There are religious uh, connotations to use of the moon and the sun, but I'm not sure there are political ones. Okay. But you make a good argument. Uh, certainly you wouldn't, not, would not think of uh, the West as uh, the moon or the East. Uh, it just was not considered very significant. Okay. You know, there was a big question of what to do about it, but it wasn't okay. until later, maybe the Meiji period, uh, with the shiki that uh, Japanese began to, some Japanese began to idolize the West. Thanks for that one, Richard. I didn't mean to put you on the spot with my, my surmising. What was your next poem? Next is from Chioni, which means the nun Chio. Uh, but this was written before she became a nun. Omotsuri, wa dokomare itakotoka. Dragonfly catcher. Today, how far did he go, I wonder? Dragonfly catcher. Today, how far did he go, I wonder? So this poem takes place in uh, the imagination, but it's very visual and uh, very personal. So we often think uh, the uh, haiku, haiku as being uh, objective very objective, but uh, Basho and Chioni, even Busan, and especially Issa, were very subjective. But this one uh, tells us quite a bit about the personality of the young uh, child who died, and that carries over into the uh, blessed realm where he can still go after dragonflies. How far did he go? that double meaning because he's far out of reach of her and, and this world. So this has been an excellent example for me of how to use my own experience, my own emotions in haiku without being uh, overly obvious. I think it's a, a mistake that a lot of people make, particularly in their, their early haiku writing days probably influenced by the Western poetry they've grew, grown up with, 
to be far too emotive in their expression with haiku. And yet, look how you can stimulate the emotions, as you say, without being obvious. I wondered reading this whether, if you didn't know about the death of her, her child, would you have valued this any less? Well, of course, I valued it less. But uh, as visually, it's still uh, interesting, even if we don't know the background. A picture of a child chasing dragonflies out of uh, the sight of the parent. All she can do is surmise. I wonder how far he's gone chasing these dragonflies. Richard, that's a lovely haiku. I love the imagery in, in it. And I didn't know the history before you told me of, of her losing her only son. And I still thought it was a beautiful poem. So what have you got for us next? One from Isa. Out of the five that I've chosen, uh, this probably been the most influential one. Kurosato ya, yorumo suarumo mara no hana. My hometown, both coming and handling flowers of the rose brambles. My hometown, both coming and handling flowers of the rose brambles. Well, this is a, an example for me of how metaphor is handled in haiku. Is my hometown, and then uh, both coming and handling. So there's a very uh, physical experience in uh, the rose brambles. This also is another example of how knowing about the poet adds quite a bit. So he says hometown was uh, bittersweet for him. When his father died, Issa was left the house and property, but his stepmother and stepbrother usurped the house and refused to let him live in it. And town leaders waffled for years on the claims, but let the women and child live in the house. This hoku was written on one of his visits to try to settle the legal claims. And it still hadn't been resolved at that time. Eventually, it was resolved. He was able to move there, and then, of course, he suffered the house fire where that house burned down. I'm so pleased that you spoke about the metaphor in this, because when I read it, I wasn't entirely sure uh, about the poem. I mean, I know about Issa's problems once his father, father died. So I could string together the ideas knowing that bit of history. But I also worked out that, yes, he was using the roses and the, and the brambles as a metaphor for how he felt about being back in, in his hometown. So, you know, roses are beautiful flowers. They smell beautiful. What's not to love? So in some ways he loved being back in his hometown, but the, the idea that they had brambles too, the rose brambles are a very different thing that they hurt. You know, you get caught on roses. I was cutting mine yesterday and I'm full of scratches. So that also a metaphor for how difficult it was to be back and the difficulty difficulties he was having in being back in his hometown. So I'm really pleased you, you spoke about that. It's a really useful tool, isn't it, metaphor? If I use something metaphorically, uh, this is the model that I've always used. Present it physically as real and then let the metaphor uh, 
metaphorical implications go from there. And you said this was the most influential of the the um, haiku that you've you've chosen. Was it because of the technique that he's used and how and how he's used the metaphorical technique, or was there a deeper reason for it, an emotional tie, if you like? Uh, no, I don't have any bittersweet memories of my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> what is our next poem, Richard? The next one is from Hosomi Ayako. He's a contemporary haiku poet, uh, although she's passed, she passed away in the 90s. Fudangi de, fudan no kokoro, momo no hana. In everyday clothes, everyday thoughts, peach blossoms. In everyday clothes, everyday thoughts, peach blossoms. So the po poet's abruptly jarred out of her everyday existence by the sight of peach blossoms, which are pretty, but, but they're not stunning. <laughs> it's a little bit richer because uh, momonohana is a uh, season word that also refers to the peach blossom festival on March 3rd. The setting could be that festival. That coincides with the girls' festival, Hinamatsuri, the doll festival, on the same date. So they're often used interchangeably. So her mood, being jolted out of it, uh, is celebratory because of the festival, the things, and it perhaps connects her with thoughts of her daughter or daughters. She was born in 1907 and died in the late 90s, 1997. So she had a long, long old life. But what a period of time she lived through, if you think of, of what happened throughout the world. I mean, the technological advances, but, you know, she's lived through a number of wars. She lived in a period where she saw, for example, aviation take off, telecommunications take off, all sorts of wonderful, wonderful things happening in her life. And yet she chooses in this poem to go with the mundane. And as you say, she's brought, brought out of the mundane by something just a little less mundane than, than her everyday clothes or her everyday life. She didn't start writing till she was, I think, in possibly in her 50s when she, when she was recovering from illness. Do you have any idea when this one might have been written in, you know, in, in her, her life? 78 or maybe 1977, when I was mm -hmm. living in Korea. So it had been written uh, a little bit before and attracted quite a bit of notice. Yeah, so about midway through her career, because she wrote about 20 years more after, mm. after that. She was blessed with a, a very long life. And so, Richard, we come to your last poem, which is one of your own. Perhaps you'd like to read it to us. Rising toward the slow turn of maple seeds, a child's laughter. Rising toward the slow turn of maple seeds, a child's laughter. I've written uh, some haiku for each of my children. At least the one for each of them has become kind of well known. This one is based on the experience of my daughter, who was about six at the time throwing maple seeds uh, into the air, helicopter seeds, we called them, uh, and laughing as they circle down. 
So I generalize this haiku to fit any child of any age. But for me, it's always a close-up of my six-year-old daughter. As an adult, she knows this haiku because I tell her I wrote it for her, but she can't remember the experience. The haiku for my children have preserved some moments of the past, but over time they've taken on a feeling of loss for me that I'm sure readers do not feel. I think readers who read this don't sense uh, that feeling of change and loss. You know, that, that, that time has passed, but it remains permanently in the present. Since I age and my children age, then that poem takes on that feeling for me. Did you write this when your daughter was around about the, the age of six, or have you written that from memory at a later date? Shortly after would be like one or two years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's an element of memory within the poem, or rather it's, it's taken from memory. It's not done at the same time. Well, I've never been blessed with being able to write haiku about a moment at the moment. <laughs> so it takes, a, it takes a while and uh, things settle down and I play with it for a while. Uh, this one, of course, a uh, recent memory, but still uh, very immediate. I think I've told you before how much I enjoyed this particular one, because to me, the first line connects really well with the third. So it's a little disjunctive, at least the way I read it, in the way you've written it. And it plays with our perception in, in a really interesting way. The first line has that upward trajectory, whilst the second comes down. And it shouldn't make sense. And it probably doesn't make sense, in fairness, until you read that last, la last line. I'm not sure I agree with you about whether the reader will get the sadness, because I think there is a sadness driven by the second line, which is the slow turn of maple seeds, the slow turn of maple seeds. I think that gives it a very, not a very, but it gives it a melancholic feel. But overall, I think I agree with you that there is a sort of joyous feeling to, to it. You know, most of us have, have either had our own children or, or watched children taking a great deal of fun out of chucking the seeds around or or just in the autumn throwing leaves up and watching them come down and it's, it's almost synesthesia because you've got the visual of the child playing with the seeds but you've, you can always hear the child the children's laughter at the same time too so I think it's a really beautiful poem and what a gift you've given to your daughter none of my children have taken up writing <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for for coming along and sharing these poems with us and in the same vein i wanted to share one with you at the end which i wrote from memory now i don't write poetry for my my children maybe i should but this one is about one of my children or an experience i had with one of my children his heart monitor holds the beat the song i can't sing his heart monitor holds the beat, the song I can't sing. Which sounds a bit sad. In fact, it was very sad. It's a little story about sitting by my son's intensive care cot when he was a month old. You've had children yourself. You know that uh, they go through periods where they are mad keen on, on a film or a song or, or whatever. And at the time, his brother and sister were mad keen on Disney and... Uh, it was Sleeping Beauty in particular that was holding their attention. And whilst this third child 
Blessing was in a coma at the time and uh, the doctors wanted us to communicate with him. And one of the things I did was try and sing this song, which they he would have heard time and time again in the womb and time and time again in the, the month he'd been out of the womb. But I could never make it through the first line of the song. I kept, I kept cracking up with it. And so I wrote this about him, but not for him. And I don't suppose he'll ever read it or, or think about it. Anyway, Richard, before I get maudlin, let me say again, it's been a real treat and a, tre- and a pleasure to listen to your, your choices. Thank you very much for coming along and sharing them with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Good. I'm pleased to hear it. Thank you very much. Thanks once again, Richard. I noticed I forgot to tell you which song my kids were enthralled with. It was Once Upon a Dream. Details, along with all the other bits and pieces, will be in the show notes. Do go along and have a read. I hope Richard's five favourite haiku will inspire you to think about yours and email me. I do have a number of poets who sent me their favourite five and I'll be getting in touch to see if you'd like to come along and tell us about them, in your own way, in your own voice. But I always have room for more, so please do get in touch. Now, if you watched the YouTube workshop I did for Colours, which is on the Poetry P YouTube channel, you might have noticed that the introduction was a tad short. I just couldn't get it right, and in the end, I cut it very, very short indeed. And I decided, by the time I'd put it all together, that next time I do a workshop, I really must have invested in an auto-queue. So if you'd be kind enough to make a donation via Buy Me A Coffee, you can help me save up to get it. I know not everyone can buy me a coffee, so don't feel bad if you can't afford it. But to those of you who donated in December last year, thank you very much. You know who you are but your donations mean a lot to me, so I'd like to thank you personally. Robert Horobin, Elliot Warshaw, Melanie Vance, Linda Ludwig, Jason Furtak, Lee Hudspeth, and Natalia Kuznetsova. Thank you very much for getting me started with my fund for the autocue. And thank you all so much to everyone who bought the Autumn Journal. The podcast is a free resource, but lots of work goes into it, and all the other offerings. And you know what? The coffees encourage me to keep going, because I know you value the work I do. Thank you. Now let's finish up the podcast today with some of Linda's picks from the PTV prompt on Poetry P's YouTube channel. This time for November and December 2021. November. In the wake of scattered memories, homelessness. In the wake of scattered memories, homelessness. James Young. Gliding under clouds huddled in my sweater, longing for home. Gliding under clouds huddled in my sweater, longing for home.
Carl Setzer. Leaving you, even the seabirds remain silent. Leaving you, even the seabirds remain silent. Marion Clark. Blue silk, wrapping my scarf around a summer day. Blue silk, wrapping my scarf around a summer day. Marilyn Ward. Going home, the island comes back in my dreams. Going home, the island comes back in my dreams. Pat Davis. And these are from December's prompt. Frost moon rippling the cold water, an old mallard's quack. Frost moon rippling the cold water, an old mallard's quack. Hifsa Ashraf. Winter wonderland, the ducks take away the silence. Winter wonderland, the ducks take away the silence. Rob Kingston Lonely ducks finding a way to break the ice. Lonely ducks finding a way to break the ice. Richard Bailey Her laugh a fading echo on the winter wind. Her laugh a fading echo on the winter wind. Keith Everts Cold moon, just enough space for them to meet. Cold moon, just enough space for them to meet. Lakshmi Iyer Thank you so much to Linda for choosing these poems. Linda, we all appreciate the time you take to let everyone know you've read their poems. These were great choices. And, as you said to me, the poems just get better and better with each month. Thank you to everyone who heads over there and writes in the comments. And don't forget, there's a prompt every month. Have you written yours for February? I'm so grateful for Linda's help, and the help of all the editors and the community judges for Poetry P. Don't forget, this month, Jim Young, Lorraine Padden, Vandana Parashar, Ron Craig and Robert Horobin are waiting to read your haiku and senryu in response to the prompt colours. And I have a little begging to do. If you think you could be a community judge, which involves reading all the chosen submissions and writing a commentary of about 350 words for the journal, do get in touch. I could really do with your help. If you don't want to be on the podcast reading your commentary, it's really not a problem. I'll do that for you. But I think it's important that we have lots of different opinions on the podcast. We learn so much from each other, don't we? Well, I know I learn a lot from you. One last reminder, if you haven't already signed up for the mailing on the website, please do. There'll be lots of extra information flowing out via that source over this year. Don't miss anything. And you know what? Sometimes there'll be special offers for you to enjoy. So... Check out the submission pages, remind yourself of the deadlines, and send your poetry in. Particularly for colours, 
and split sequences this month. So that's the crack for another wee while. Do visit with us next time when, if the internet fairies are good to us, we'll hear from a new voice to the podcast, Alison Whipple. She'll be talking about punctuation. Let's punctuate together. So until next time, keep writing. There's lots of info in the show notes this time, but if something's missing, just let me know and I'll fix it for you. Ciao.